2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The other hand is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
3: Lots to talk about today, as usual. A few Irish stories. We got the flash estimate of inflation. We got a report from the National Competitiveness Council yesterday talking about. And I want to talk about those two issues in the context of the budget that's going to be presented on October 10th and, you know, what all that stuff means for the budget. Uh, Bond markets, as we've discussed in the last couple of podcasts, continue to be extremely volatile with yields creeping up and certainly would make one very nervous about the global economic outlook. Um, I see, Chris, that the United Kingdom's GDP has surpassed France and Germany, um, dating back to the final quarter of 2019. And um, we've got inflation data out of the euro area, but generally we see ongoing signs of extreme weakness in the eurozone economy. And indeed, we saw something that we haven't really spoken about for years as economists. We got money supply and lending data out of the Eurozone earlier in the week, um, if, which, if you believe in the importance of money supply, does tell a pretty stark story about what's happening in the Eurozone economy. But if I may start off, Chris, with the Irish story, um, we got the flash estimate of harmonized, the harmonized index of consumer price inflation, which is the Eurozone a measure of inflation, um, a bit different than the consumer price index. In September, it increased to 5% from 4.9% the previous month. Um, and that's an increase of 0.1% in the month. So that downward trend in inflation in Ireland has certainly been arrested. Energy prices up 3.7%, food prices up 0.4%. The cost of living issues besetting the Irish consumer Uh, continue to feed into the system. And of course, with oil prices rising, uh, that does pose a significant challenge for the government as it introduces the budget on October 10th. The National Competitiveness and Productivity Council, which used to be the National Competitiveness Council, it yesterday published its Competitiveness Challenge 2023 publication. um, And it made four Recommendations for long term strategic policy in Ireland. One is to reduce the cost of doing business. Secondly, to significantly improve the planning, the development, and the delivery of infrastructure. Third is to accelerate the progress on the usage and generation of energy in line with climate targets. Uh, That's obviously renewable energy. And finally, to enable stronger productivity growth. Through research, development, and innovation. Okay, Jim, the reason can I ask you a question yes, there. You
2: can. Did, did they ask for apple pie and ice cream?
3: Uh, they certainly did, Chris. But what really tickled me about this was the National Competitiveness and Productivity Council coming out with these long term strategic goals a couple of weeks before the budget is presented. And that is a budget that is going to be extremely um, expansionary. On October tenth, the government is going to introduce a package of six point four billion. Before any changes are announced, that comprises of one point one billion in tax cuts and five point three billion in core expenditure increases. And on top of that, there will be a series of temporary measures to address the cost of living crisis, to address the cost of doing business. The, The government is talking about schemes particularly in relation to energy to help small businesses. Okay, so they also talk about reducing the tax burden on middle-income earners. And I think what's going to happen there is we will see some reduction in the USC. We will also see um, an increase in the 40,000 threshold at which one enters the top rate of tax. And we're also going to see the government deciding to proceed with the recommendation to increase the minimum wage from 11 euro 30 to 12 euro 70 next year so what i'm describing there chris is number one an expansionary budget package number two a budgetary package that is very short term in nature there is nothing remotely in there that would constitute long-term strategic planning and um, i'd be really surprised if there is anything in the budget that would meaningfully address those four issues that the National Competitiveness and Productivity Council um, has recommended. What will happen on the morning of the 11th of October, we will all wake up slightly better off, nobody significantly better off. It will cost a lot of money, but it will be a real scattergun approach to fiscal management with no long-term vision whatsoever. Nothing surprising about that, nothing unusual about that, because that's exactly what every budget delivers.
2: It's the same here in the UK. If, if anything, it's worse that the, the short-term thinking dominates everything, particularly government and its fiscal budgetary policy, but also a lot of corporate life. And short ter- short-termism is the, is the plague of our respective economies. And part of me worries and is concerned about that. And I would echo all of the remarks of the Competitiveness Council. I'm sorry if I was slightly facetious earlier on. What they're asking for, of course, it would be incredibly important if steps could be made to deliver on any or all of their four headings. I'm particularly interested, particularly exercised, as you know, Jim, by the alternative energy space and the mention of climate change targets needs emphasising because I think recently there's been some warnings that Ireland won't be meeting its targets. Uh, those warnings have been around for a long time, actually, and they're repeated year after year. Ireland is falling behind. So I suspect will the UK, having been quite a leader in carbon reduction, we seem to be going backwards here. So that's, that's all very disappointing. It would have been so easy a few years ago when bond yields, which we'll come on to talk about at the moment, were next to nothing, if not negative to have become a leading world power in alternative energy on both of these islands, but particularly Ireland. The, the availability of offshore wind is just extraordinary and the failure to exploit that energy source. I think future generations will condemn us. But the, the comments about infrastructure are also uh, well made. The opportunity to do the country's infrastructure better in a way has come and gone. And n- now with government borrowing costs being what they are, it's a whole different ball game. But as you said, Jim, this is a same old, same old budget uh, with a bit more money to play for perhaps than than is usual, a bit less than last year, but nevertheless expansionary, which you know I suppose is better than the alternative. But I got a question for you, and it's in the context of those government borrowing costs because they are moving dramatically on global financial markets. It's in the context of the rise in inflation because there's a, a building picture here which we've had from Europe this week, uh, and also today in the United States, headline inflation is going up again. And that's because of energy, uh, almost entirely. That's a result of the oil price going up to this week. It touched $97 a barrel. It's fallen a little bit since then, but most industry observers think that oil is going north of $100 quite soon. And I want to talk about that in a second. But the global inflationary environment has contributed to the soaring cost of government borrowing everywhere, particularly on both sides of the Atlantic, but also elsewhere in countries like Japan. Now, this, for me, spells big trouble ahead. Nothing to do with Ireland. It's not the government's fault. It's not anybody's fault in Ireland that global energy prices are soaring again. Natural gas prices in Europe are up 6% again today. We know we're back to the levels of last summer, but nevertheless... We are well off the lows reached earlier in the summer of 2023. So we've got a big inflation problem. We've got a interest rate problem and a government borrowing cost problem. They're all related. These things always are. For me, the trouble that this portends is a slowdown in economic growth. We've already got one in Europe. We ain't got one in the States, but I think these sorts of borrowing rates with mortgage rates in the US now over 7%, an extraordinary state of affairs, really, when you think about it. Imagine Ireland at 7 between 7 and 8% mortgage rates, what that would do to your housing market. I think that we're going to get a classic interest rate, bond yield-led slowdown in economic growth. As I say, it's already started in Europe, and I don't think Europe can take these higher interest rates for much longer. I already think the ECB has made a mistake in driving rates to where they are. So I think we're going to get a slowdown. I don't know how big it will be, but what we can say about forecasting the future, and I think this is the sort of thing that forecasters can usefully say about the future, is that it ain't looking good. When we start putting precise numbers on it, that's what we, when we get into spurious precision. But there are clearly lots and lots of storm clouds building. Now, it's in the nature of weather forecasts that you can see these storm clouds out in the Atlantic, but you're never quite sure where along the coastline that they're going to hit. So there's a lot of uncertainty about this economic storm that's heading our way, both in terms of when it's going to arrive and its intensity, but there's definitely one coming. And the longer these interest rates, in particular, these long-term government bond yields, government borrowing costs, stay where they are, or indeed go higher, the more trouble there's going to be, economically speaking. It's very, very serious, and people should not underestimate the difficulties that we could be getting ourselves into. In that context, given that we might be getting a bad storm hitting, it might not hit, but the chances are building, they're increasing day by day with what's going on in financial markets, the dramatic moves in financial markets. My question to you, Jim, is if you were a sensible, prudent, that word that is often used by finance ministers all over the world, including Ireland, if you were a prudent finance minister, surely the right thing to do economically is and I stress economically, would be to cancel the budget. Whoa,
3: interesting suggestion, Chris. Uh, if I may first reflect on you know, some of what's happening in the euro area, you've mentioned the slowdown, and we got a lot of evidence this week, uh, money supply growth, depending, uh, number one, how would you believe it? Number two, what measure of money supply you look at? But M1, which is a very narrow measure of money supply, fell by 10.4% in August, which was a record decline. Um, M3, which is a broader measure of money supply, fell by 1.3%. But underlying all of that is the fact that net lending to households and non-financial corporations is weakening significantly. So clear signs of um, an interest rate-driven slowdown in the euro area economy. Uh, German retail sales on Friday morning declined by 1.2% during the month of August. Um, Dutch inflation actually has fallen to the lowest level in seven years, which is quite extraordinary. But uh, what we're seeing here is a picture of a significant slowdown in the euro area economy. Uh, You talk about bond yields under significant upward pressure, Um, although it's not happening yet. Inevitably, you'd feel that has to feed into equity markets. So it's an incredibly uncertain global backdrop. So from an Irish perspective perspective, the notion that we have this sort of uh, game of charades of throwing out as much money as we possibly can to as many people as we possibly can, I think has passed its sell-by date. And I've argued this for some years, Chris, that I believe all of these budgetary measures just should be introduced um, in the normal course of events during the running of the year. That why announce it all on the one-day Um, builds up a huge level of expectation it becomes a bit of a political football and i can assure you that the budget that's going to be introduced next tuesday will be or sorry tuesday week will be inappropriate um, but it will be derided by opposition politicians as being too miserly not spending enough money so whatever they do uh, the opposition politicians won't be happy and that's the nature of democratic politics i guess Uh, But the bottom line is that it's a massive expenditure of resources without achieving very much. And in the context of a significant potential, a potentially significant slowdown in tax receipts over the next few years, particularly on the corporation tax side, and global events will heavily determine that, uh, the notion that we spend all of this money in short term measures does not make sense. So, Chris, I would be delighted to see a decision being made that the budget should be canceled and that just this should become part of normal um, day-to-day running of the countryside. But um, it's very naive to even talk about this. It ain't gonna happen. Uh, today, I got something in my letterbox from um, the TD in my current constituency and we're being redrawn. So uh, the, the the joint signatory to the letter is from a TD in my next constituency. Breed Smith is my existing. Paul Murphy will be my future TD. Uh, They are organising a protest, demand action on the cost of living crisis um, on the seventh of October in town. You know they're talking about the increase in mortgage rates, in fuel, in electricity, and so on. And they're lamenting the fact that the banks, the electricity companies, and the big retailers are making unprecedented profits. So that shows you. nature of political discourse and that's why the budget on October 10th will be a scattergun approach to economic management something for everybody in the audience but a major opportunity will be missed to invest in the long-term strategic future of the country so in answering your question in a very roundabout way yeah cancel the budget but it ain't gonna happen wow nice yeah
2: Yes, I agree. Of course, it's not going to happen. But the idea is you batten down the hatches when a storm is approaching. And economically speaking, that is equivalent to cancelling the budget. If I would summarise what the Competitiveness Council is saying in a slightly different way, uh, or at least add what I think should be a strategic imperative for Ireland, is that you think about the risks, fiscally speaking at least, if not to employment and all sorts of other economic variables. The the biggest risk comes from the over-reliance, as it's been for many, many years. And it's not been a risk that's materialized, but we talk about it all the time. And that's the international multinational sector in terms of the jobs that it provides and the tax revenues that it provides. The risks are that it will shrink or at, at best stabilize, one would think. If those are the risks that you continuously hark on about, then presumably you should do something by way of risk mitigation. If you were a CEO of a company, you're always concerned about risks, and you're always concerned about risk mitigation, risk management. So the one thing I would say, big picture, helicopter view, strategically thinking about the Irish economy, is that you've got to build up the Irish economy. And that is to do something about Irish, domestic Irish Business and do something for that sector, particularly our old favourite gym, the SMEs, which are the engine room of the domestic Irish economy. And that does include doing things like wherever you can, reducing the costs of doing business. And that includes reg- dopey regulations that a lot of these businesses face. But it's also that more strategically oriented uh, direction of policy to just increase the numbers of small and medium sized enterprises to in- help. The existing ones to grow, both in terms of funding, mentoring, strategic thinking, all of the help that could and should be given. And I know the government and other and quasi-government agencies do do work in this area, good work in this area. It it has to be said, but I would throw the kitchen sink at it now, and because of a that storm that I was talking about is a short to medium-term risk, but more. I think because of the long-term risk facing the the economy of being over-reliant on the international sector. So therefore, just get some heads together to think about how do we grow the Irish economy? And I don't see much sign of that happening. I would actually regard that as a strategic imperative. And of course, a bit like the budget being cancelled, there's not much chance of that happening either, is there, Jim?
3: No, there's not, Chris, in fairness. uh... Would you
2: agree, though, with my diagnosis and idea?
3: Totally, Chris, Uh, absolutely. Um, But the political system here militates against long term planning and long term strategic direction. We see that uh, really magnified in the housing area where there is no long term strategy. Basically, every housing initiative um, is on the back of some social media post or some event. Uh, there, there's not a long-term, strategic, consistent view of where we want to be. So um, I despair about that long-term planning, but I also accept it because it is a symptom of the very diluted form of democracy we have in this country.
2: But, Jim, um, you talk about yeah. democracy there. If I might, forgive me, in, interrupt you there. Um, is it what the political system delivers, short-term thinking, at, at with no long-term thinking, simply a reflection of what we, the people, ask them to do. Of course it is. Where yeah. is the clamour from the electorate for strategic thinking?
3: There is zero clamour. Well, you, you, you could
2: argue that it's there in the populist call for more housing, and they're the very real and and absolutely needed more housing. But when it actually comes to the decisions that you need to take, the actions that you need to take to build more houses... We, as a population, and by we, I mean people on both islands, actually, Great Britain and Ireland, all we do is throw up obstacles in many and various forms. We've we've talked about planning, we've talked about nimbyism, we talk about all sorts of things, but we say that it's something that we want, but we're not prepared to countenance the actions that are necessary for the houses to be built. Here in the UK, for example, planning is also a big issue, as it it is in Ireland, but things like building on the Greenbelt, you try... Build you know, there's most of Britain is still empty. But try building on that empty land. Forget about it. No chance. Um, so I think that in many ways we are getting what we ask for.
3: Yeah, we, we are, Chris. And I mean you talk you talk about um, you know, politicians calling for more housing as representing some tar- some sort of long-term thinking. It's not actually because this is it's a political slogan at this stage. And if you look at uh, politicians, particularly from Sinn Féin, People Before Profit, um, and indeed the Labour Party. Um, and and it's not unique to those three parties, but they're the ones that make the most noise about the housing crisis because they're all in opposition. But if you look at the number of objections that those politicians from those parties have actually launched against housing developments. And it's not just against sort of private residential, it's against social and affordable developments. So clearly this is about politics. It has nothing to do with long-term strategic thinking. And for politicians in this jurisdiction, the long-term does not extend beyond the next election. That who who can blame them? Because that's that's what we ask Nobody for. complains, we vote for them, absolutely. Mm. And you see the party that makes the most populist promises ahead of the next election will do best in that election. And indeed, we are seeing that being reflected in Sinn Féin's polling at the moment, which continues to strengthen. Um, I'm not blaming Sinn Féin for all of this, because I I think you look at every party across the spectrum and you get the same sort of behaviour. So it's just a race to the bottom in terms of the political system and um, how the economy is managed. So I, I would hold no faith whatsoever in the ability of the political system to deliver or in the ability of the electorate to insist upon that sort of long-term strategic thinking that is essential to the long-term prosperity of the Irish economy and indeed of Irish society. I
2: despair. I'm going to ask our next guest on the podcast, who is a returning guest, our neuroscience professor Shane O'Mara from Trinity College Dublin, about all of this, because there is a a school of thought. And I've seen the chief economist of the Bank of England make speeches about this, the ex-chief economist of the Bank of England, about the bits of the brain that we use that determine whether we are short or long long term thinkers. And it's all to do with um, the limbic part of the brain and other bits of jargon that I can't quite remember, um, that seems to determine whether we do think long or short term. I'm going to ask him, is there anything that can be done to persuade us to use a different part of our brain when it comes to these sorts of things, I suspect I know the answer, but it, it probably is going to be an interesting conversation. You see it you see short-termism everywhere, you see it in stock markets, you see it in in all sorts of different areas. The best people, the best investors in stock markets, I, I think actually are the ones that do engage the bit of the brain that thinks beyond the next ten minutes. And are able to see their way a little bit through the fog to the extent that you can. They're honest enough about how much you can forecast the future, but they're also smart enough to be able to discern some of these longer-term trends, and that's where you can make the big money in financial markets. Um, unfortunately, there are just so few of these people around, but you see this reflected, as we have just said, in political life. But Jim, let's, let's talk about this storm that I keep saying is coming along. We've got this problem with inflation that we've had for a long period of time. We thought it was coming down, and it stopped coming down, at least at the headline level. But the interesting aspect of the inflation data as it's coming out is that it is those headline numbers that are going the wrong way. We had, for instance, in the United States today, numbers pretty much expected at the headline level for something called the PCE. But core inflation, core PCE, which is the preferred measure, it is said, of the US Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, came in at under expectations. So it seems that one of the things that we're observing is that domestically generated inflation in the economies in which we're interested is coming down. Headline inflation may not be, but that's because of things beyond central bank control, i.e. oil prices. So, What do you think that means for interest rates? Are they going to continue to put interest rates up or do the higher for longer thing because of headline inflation about which they can do absolutely nothing? Or are they going to respond to the domestically generated inflation, which does seem to be coming down? The right thing to do, in my opinion, and in many economists' opinion, is to respond solely to domestically generated inflation. You can't compartmentalize these things absolutely with a hard line between them, because obviously one can bleed into the other. If you have headline inflation going up at because of energy prices, if that starts to feed through into all other costs, particularly wages, then you've got to do something about it. But for as long as domestically generated inflation is coming down, as I think it is, on the back of domestic economic weakness, then the central banks should be relaxed. But of course, they're not. And the, the one that I think is going to get it right is the Fed. And the one that has already got it wrong is the ECB. But I do think the economic weakness that is going to come and already is here in Europe from these higher interest rates is going to, is going to set these central banks with a big conundrum. If you've got economies contracting and headline inflation not coming down because of $100 a barrel oil, they're going to be absolutely caught in a cleft stick, aren't they, Jim?
3: Yeah, they are, Chris. But uh the as you said, that the headline rates are coming down. I mean, we got four point three percent in the euro area in <clears throat> excuse me, which is the lowest since October 21. Services sector inflation has fallen from five and a half to four point seven. It's still um,
2: way above. What, oh, what still
3: these... way it's still way above. But it's it's clear that notwithstanding what's happening on the energy front, that the Policy of very aggressive monetary tightening is having some impact. And um, I agree with you totally. And we've said it many times that uh, I think the European Central Bank has delivered overkill, uh, but the European Central Bank has a pretty decent track record in that regard. It's hard to see that central bank actually changing tack. So you'd be very pessimistic about the outlook for the Eurozone economy over the next 12 months, less so about the United States, because as you say, I think you would have more faith. In the pragmatism and ability of the Federal Reserve to actually achieve some sort of soft landing for the US economy, but not so for the euro area. From an Irish perspective, clearly that poses huge challenges. And uh, we should be, I go back to the point, engaging in long term strategic and fiscal planning rather than just throwing everything away in a politically driven
2: party. Yeah. And, but we know that this is the most intensely political budget yeah. um, of possibly of all time. Chris,
3: can I, ask, can I ask you about the UK? I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the GDP in the first quarter was revised up to point three, second quarter revised up to 0.2. The UK economy is now 1.8% above its pre-pandemic level at the end of 2019. It has outperformed France and Germany. So... You know
2: what's with you? Me, me, and my UK pessimism. You're having a go yeah. again, aren't you, mate? Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, I would say listen to your own numbers, there, Jim. You are the numbers man. Were any of those numbers big numbers? No. And I relative. Do you think that over four years a growth rate of one point something is that what you said? One point nine percent. A growth rate of one point nine percent over four years. Not that's not one point nine percent a year. That's one point nine percent over four years. Uh, That's not exactly something that you should be doing cartwheels and high fives about. It isn't recession, absolutely, but it's just bouncing along the bottom, which is the story that I've been telling for some time, which is that the UK, not in recession, but it isn't going anywhere. It's absolutely stagnant. And that stagnant economy bleeds into a stagnant body politic, stagnating society, and also gives rise to Populism. It always does. It did in the 1930s, and it's doing so here again. Witness all of the stuff that's been going on with our equivalent of Fox News, something called GB News here, over the last few days, weeks and months. Um, Look at people like Jacob Rees-Mogg this week getting a knighthood. We give these people, these populists... Uh, non-entities uh, gongs as they're called over here but you've got your own populists over there you've got Sinn Féin you've got 200 absolute right-wing lulas protesting outside the Doyle and um, you're not immune to this right-wing thing um, thankfully I think because your economy is so strong it's not as big a force as it is here but we've got elections in Slovakia this weekend in which a right-wing populist a Putin supporter is we think going to come to power um, later on in the year, we've got elections in Poland where the right is on the rise, and in the United States, somebody called Donald Trump has a ten-point lead over Joe Biden. And I don't know if you saw today, Jim, that uh, the Democrat uh, majority in the Senate has gone. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sadly, one of Dianne Feinstein has has died. died but,
3: yeah, she was ninety.
2: Mm. Um, I think she's been ill for some time. I'm not quite sure whether a Democrat then gets nominated to take her seat. I think that's the way it works in the States, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, But anyway, we do have great political change and in all countries, the rise of the right to a greater or lesser extent. As I say, it's not very much in Ireland, but it's definitely there. And I think that this also is another reason why, economically speaking, you batten down the hatches. Um, because you, we we have got great political upheaval at the moment. And I think there's potentially, particularly and obviously in the United States, more to come. So the UK, going back to your original question, sorry, I have digressed enormously. Um, it's bouncing along the bottom. Um, it's not doing anything that surprises anybody. It certainly isn't growing in any meaningful way. We certainly do not have anything like your growth rates. Um, and you're now going to start saying, well, what about France and Germany? We're do- the UK is doing better than those two countries. Yes, they are. Yes, the UK definitely is with these GDP revisions. And I'd say a number of things about that. One technical, one is GDP. I remember a, um, a speech given by a politician here in the UK a few years ago to a crowd saying about how GDP is growing and that things are, you know are looking up because of GDP. And a member of the audience say, well, that's your GDP. It's not mine. Real incomes in the UK have been stagnant now for nearly 15 years. Uh, the other thing is comparing yourself to France, France and Germany is not exactly a high bar for those comparative purposes. Um, we have spoken on this pod several times recently about how poorly the European economy is doing. So comparing your poor economy with other poor economies, what do you expect? You're going to get a bit more, a bit less. But they're all looking to be pretty, pretty poor in terms of economic performance. And that's my, that's my concern, is that the external environment for Ireland just ain't looking good, Jim. Yeah,
3: you, you, you'd have to be concerned about it. And uh, there cannot be any complacency. Um, I heard Alistair Campbell there recently sum it all up very well in terms of what's befallen the world at the moment. The three Ps, populism, polarisation and post-truth. Um, that, unfortunately, is a very damaging reality. And I think many of our politicians are just playing into those three Ps. So listen, Chris, it was great to talk again. Have a lovely weekend. And uh, I look forward to our discussion with um, Shane O'Mara early next week. See you. Thanks, Jim. Cheers, buddy. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com, or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated.